Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Chapter 12, and we're going to pick up there in just a second. But um, as you're turning there, I wanted to ask, how many of you are like really ready for Christmas? Right? You're ready for Christmas. And how many of you thought that you'd come to church today in July and have the preacher talk about being ready for Christmas? Right? You're like, this dude is way off today, right? Uh, no. So here's the thing. We're actually, we've now turned the corner. We're a little under six months away from December 25th. So for some of you who still haven't put your Christmas trees away, just go ahead and leave them up. You know, you're no longer a procrastinator. You are an early bird. So it's amazing how the, you know, how the, uh, how things can change, how perspectives can change. So we're actually closer now to this coming Christmas than we are this past Christmas. So on June 25th, that's when, that's when everything changed for us. So, and I don't know how you plan for Christmas. Some of you, you've been planning for Christmas since last year's Christmas was over with. Is anybody like that? Like it's an all year event for you to plan gifts out. You plan gifts. You do, when do you normally start? When do you normally start thinking about Christmas gifts? I can tell none of you did because you looked at me like I had three heads when I mentioned the word Christmas this morning, right? Uh, some people are like me complete procrastinators. Like there's really no reason to start getting serious about Christmas gifts until like December 21st. 20, you know, whenever the Amazon Prime says we can't get it there by Christmas day, that's when I start getting scared, right? Luckily, Stacy is a planner. So she starts thinking about things like way out. And the fact that I've mentioned it now, she's probably already stressing out like, oh my gosh, I got to get on the stick about this. So we balance each other out really well. Okay. And by, by balance, by the perfect balance in our marriage, I mean this, Stacy gets all the gifts and I sit there on Sunday mo- on Christmas morning, just as surprised at what we got the kids as they are. Okay, so that's that's how we balance each other out in there. But maybe you struggle like that with getting. Who's the procrastinator? Okay, how many of you are planners? And how many of you are like, I'm so sick and tired of the commercialization of Christmas. I don't do gifts anyway. All right, you're like just you know Scrooge. Right, you don't even care. Right. Um, and the reason I think I procrastinate is because I put a lot of pressure on myself when it comes to gift giving. Okay, I want to give a gift that is meaningful. I want to give a gift that is sentimental. I want to give a gift that, that, that expresses how I feel about you as a person. And it's really hard to find one gift that covers all those bases, right? This year, though, you know that the perfect gift is going to be the same for everybody. Gas cards, right? The perfect gift. Everybody needs it. No one has enough of it, and it means that you care about them as a person, right? Because you don't want them to, you know, just kind of sink or swim when it comes to not being able to get where they want to go, right? So we all kind of struggle with that perfect gift, but we also know what it's like when we get that perfect gift. It doesn't happen all the time. Not every gift hits the home run, but sometimes you get a gift that just blows you away, right? Like you get emotionally invested in that gift because it just, the minute you open it, you're like, I needed that, or I didn't know that I needed that, or I didn't know how much you cared about me when you opened that gift. It just, it just, it, some gifts just seem to go a little deeper than others. That's what this passage is about this morning. Right in the middle of this, of this treatise on the gospel, Paul is turning the, 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 the page again from chapters 1 through 11 where he's explained what the gospel is, why we need the gospel, to now in chapter 12 on one word he says, therefore. 
And he says, therefore, in view of the mercies of God in, chapter, in verse number one, he says, in view of how much mercy God has shown you in the gospel, which is, by the way, the greatest gift the world will ever receive. The gospel that Jesus came, he died, and he rose again, and that anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, anyone can be saved because Jesus Christ is a universal savior. If we would come to him, we may have eternal life. The greatest gift is the message of the gospel. The greatest gift is the message of the gospel. And if you receive that gift, not only does it prepare you for heaven, it's not just like I got my reservation for what's gonna be great one day. You have received the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, his giftedness in your life, and his purpose for your life as well. So the gospel is not just something that affects us for eternity, it affects us here and now. The gospel should be something that is shaping us every single day. That's what we looked at the past couple of weeks in chapter 12. And now we're gonna look at how the gospel begins to shape us because today we're going to be looking at Paul's discussion or Paul's explanation of what we've come to call in the church spiritual gifts. Did you know that when you trust Christ, did you know that as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you call on him and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, forgive me of my sins, I want to follow you, and you get saved, did you know that God gives you special gifts from his hand to you that you are to use for his glory here on earth? See, we've been talking a lot in the book of Romans about the fact that we are supposed to bring glory to God. And sometimes you may wonder, well, how am I supposed to do that? What do I have at my disposal to bring glory to God with? The spiritual gifts that we're going to be looking at this morning is how that happens. And so what we see here is through the giftedness that God gives to the church, we see how the gospel is at work in the church. So let's look this morning and see how many gifts we are given or that we're given some specific gifts. He discusses, he discusses in, our, in, our, in our text the motivation for using our gifts, and then he also talks about the application of using the gifts is what we're supposed to use them for, to edify the church and to proclaim the gospel. These gifts are the result of a new birth in Jesus Christ through the gospel. So let's look at these. In verse number three, it says this, for by the grace that is given to me, again, the apostle Paul turns the attention not to himself, but to the grace of God. What, and what is the grace of God? It is the grace of God given through the gospel that God himself would lower himself to become man to give himself for sinful humanity, right? That's the mercy and that's the grace that we've been given. He said, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. And we're gonna come back to that a little bit later, but that's important. Instead, think sensibly or reasonably or humbly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, again, the grace of God is mentioned again, right? According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Because we see that word grace there, that means it's nothing that we can do. It's all given to us by God. We have different gifts. And then he gets into these gifts. So if it's a gift of prophecy, use it according to the proportion of your faith. If it's service, use it in service. If it's teaching, use it in teaching. If exhorting in exhortation, in giving, give with generosity. If it's leading or administration, lead with diligence. If it's showing mercy, show mercy with a cheerful heart. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would speak through your word. Lord, it is your word that is perfect. It is the only thing that is perfect in here. And Lord Jesus, and, and, and Holy Spirit is your spirit that is present with us, Lord. We want to honor you. 
We want to please you in the way we worship you today. But God, the best way we can honor you when we look into your word is just offer ourselves and say, Lord, here I am. Mold me, make me, change me, inform me, teach me, feed me from your word. And so I pray that would be the approach that we have, a sense of desperation that we need to hear from heaven today. Whatever need there is represented in this room or, or what's represented by those who are listening on our podcast or watching on our live stream or our YouTube recording, God, I pray that you would just meet us at our point of need. You know every need. You know what we need. And Lord, you knew before we woke up this morning what we were gonna get if we would just submit ourselves to you. So I pray that we would do that today. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. He says this, if you have these gifts, use them, but use them in the right way. So in verses six through eight, we get a list of about seven different gifts which are given to believers. Now, some people get like really jacked up about spiritual gifts, all right? And usually it's those types of people that are like all into the Enneagram and into like the Briggs-Meyer personality tests and all that type of stuff. And within the body of Christ, a lot of people have different views and that we, you know, go back and forth on what the gifts are and how many there are and all those things. Um, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about the spiritual gifts this morning, but it helps to have a basic understanding of what these spiritual gifts are, and specifically the ones that Paul mentions here in our text. And that one prophecy is that first one that's mentioned. This one has like a few different meanings uh, as you see it in scripture. In the Old Testament, when you saw the gift of prophecy being exercised, it was the gift to be able to tell the future as God gave the prophets. So you had someone like Jonah who was told to go to Nineveh and say, in so many days, God's going to destroy the city if you don't repent. So here's Jonah being told to go and tell the future, to cast this future vision of what's going to take place. That was a gift of prophecy, but it came from God. It wasn't like some special magical power. It was a supernatural vision that God had given to a chosen person to do that. That was one way the prophecy was used in the Old Testament. That gift doesn't really exist that way today because we have this completed word. Prophets were used in those days because they didn't have a completed Bible or a canon of scripture to go to to say, this is the word of God as he wants us to have it. And so they would stand and say, thus says the Lord, this is what God has to say and this is what God is speaking to you. So today, what prophecy really is, is a mere proclamation of the word. I mean, I'm going to, that's what preachers do every time they step into a pulpit. They talk to you about what God's word has already said. It's not new revelation, but it is a spin or it is a spin or pointing and pulling things out from God's given revelation already. And that's prophecy in the works. Sometimes maybe you talk to a fellow brother or sister in Christ and they just seem to come up to you and know exactly what's going on and you have no idea how they know. I had this happen personally this week. I'm in a prayer group with some local pastors here in Lexington on Tuesday mornings at like 6.30 before the sun even thinks about coming up and stuff and we get together and drink coffee and we pray. Um, and so as we're praying, we kind of go around the room, we pick one person out to pray for out loud in the group, and this guy across the room from me, who I don't know real, real well, starts praying for me, for Graceway, for our family, and he just starts praying about stuff that no one knows except for me and God. And I'm like, that's like prophecy in action. I'm like, whoa, what is going on? And who's talking to this guy? And is he bugging my house and stuff like that? No, that's just kind of that gift of prophecy in action. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does speak to us about a brother or sister. And when that happens, you know, kind of lean into that. And when that, you hear that, don't get freaked out. Lean into that and understand, okay, God's, God's trying to get my attention about something. That's kind of how that goes a little bit. But here's the deal too. When that happens, 
it always has to be in line with scriptural context. God will never use the gift of prophecy to use somebody to point you away from God. That's not how that works. God uses his gifts and the gifts he gives us to point people to him. Then there was service that he talked about. He says, this is a special sense of when and how to meet someone's physical needs. So if you're somebody who is like really in tune to when somebody says, hey, um, I may be losing my job or, you know, you're, you're really in tune to saying, you know, somebody said they weren't feeling good that week and you, you, you show up with chicken soup, right, at the house. That's, that's kind of like a, a serving type of mentality. Teaching is that gift to be able to see and discern spiritual truth from the word and have this ability to kind of share it with others. So somebody gifted in teaching usually feels like they're always wanting to be in the word and they always feel like other things are getting in the way of their being in the word to try to, you know, just, just talk. And when you talk to somebody, you find yourself talking about like, like, you know, issues and things from the word of God and people look at you like, well, bro, that's, that's pretty deep, right? You might be a teacher. Exhortation is that gift to be able to lovingly and effectively call or challenge people towards obedience. Uh, it's different than teaching, which just helps us to understand what the word says, but exhortation is calling people to obey after learning what it said. We can exhort by just saying, here's what the word says, you need to get with the word, or by discipling, saying, here's what the word says, let's get together on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, and let's walk through this together. Exhortation can be manifested that way too. Giving. Giving, it's not always the people who are wealthy and can invest in the financial needs of the church or God's work, but it is people who are willing to give of their time or their talent or things that they have, saying, it's kind of like what Paul said when the lame man asked him uh, at, the, at the gates of the temple, when Paul said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I will give to you. You may be a giver. You don't have to be rich to be a giver. Although if you are rich, God's probably gifted you to be a giver, right? Not to be a hoarder, but to be a giver. But giving is that spiritual gift as well. There's also leading or administration. This is one that has that whole picture view of kingdom work. So one who, has, who can help with logistical support or to develop systems or to build teams and look at things and say, okay, we want to engage in this ministry. Like we have some administrators here in the church that when Hope Center had a problem uh, a couple weeks ago, some people came together and said, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to make all this happen. And it works that way. That's that gift of administration and, and leading. And then there's mercy showing. And that's one who is burdened to work with the poor, work with those who are in need, with the sick and the down and out. Now, we all are supposed to be doing all of these things. It doesn't mean that if you're not gifted in one place, you don't have to even engage in it. We're all, we're all told to do these things, but some of us are just bent a little more towards one direction than the other. And this, understand this too, this isn't an exhaustive list. Like Paul didn't just say, all right, here's the seven gifts. You've got one of these or you got a couple of these. Um, there's never an exhaustive lift, list given in scripture. And it's in about six different passages in scripture that we see spiritual gifts mentioned. And in each of those passages, we never see all of them mentioned. There's about 22 spiritual gifts uh, really, that kind of float around there in Scripture. But what we come to understand is that God uses us, he gifts us, he empowers us to do things. And pa Peter actually lumps all the gifts into two basic categories. Over in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, there are those who are gifted to speak for God, and then there are those who are gifted to to serve for God. That's in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. So we lump all those categories together and we see that there are those within the church, within the body, that God is gifted for maybe helping to help the, the, the ministry or the education side of the church along. And then there's others who are, are gifted to be able to help to do the hands and feet type of ministry. 
And what I think that we can get from this is this, is that spiritual gifts are not some tightly defined terms in a catalog that you get one or two of them and you can go and just take a test, although there are spiritual gift tests out there. They're not, it's not a, a concise science, but you can do that if you'd like. But again, it's not like the spiritual Enneagram or the Briggs-Meyer personality test or anything like that because our gifts kind of ebb and flow a little bit at times too. But it's not like this category that you get, but they are gifts to be cherished because they're given by God. How many of you have a gift that probably doesn't seem to be all that valuable to many people, but it's valuable to you, not because of what it is, but because of who gave it or where it came from? Here's the thing with our giftedness that we have to understand, church. The gifts that we are given by God are special because they're given by God. And if God has given that gift, it's always going to be perfect. God is never going to give to us what he, do, what he knows we don't need in order to glorify him. He is efficient in his giftedness to us. So these gifts are to be cherished because they're given by God and they're to be faithfully nurtured and used as they are for God's work. And we've already talked about through this passage, what work should we invest ourselves in more than glorifying God? Every aspect of our lives should be for the, for the purpose of glorifying God. Our careers, our families, our education, everything. We should use everything at our disposal to glorify God in his name. And these gifts that he has given us enable us to do that as well. So what I really want to drill down on this morning is not understanding the, the ins and outs of all the gifts and naming all of them, but rather to focus on how the gifts are an expression and a result of the gospel at work in us. Because when we get saved, when we are born in the family of God, we are given these gifts. So in our series, like I said, we've been walking through what is the gospel? Why do we need it? How do we receive it? Now we're going to be looking at what do we do once we've received it? What does God want us to do as saved people waiting on heaven? He doesn't want us to just sit and wait on heaven and come into church on Sundays and be like, yay, we're going to heaven and everybody else is not. And, you know, that's not just what Christianity is. Christianity is about becoming more like Christ every day and impacting the world as salt and light every single day. And God has given us the holy equipping for that through his spiritual gifts. And that should humble us. That should bring us to a place of sobriety and seriousness knowing that I'm not just in some waiting room for heaven now that I'm saved. God has a plan for me now as I wait for him to call me home. So the first thing that we have to understand about spiritual gifts is this. Is, and, and today it's going to be more like a teaching than a sermon, okay? So I hope you're okay with that. Every believer, every believer, number one, is gifted from God. That means that every single believer has a spiritual gift. God does not leave his children without gifts because he's a loving and he is a good father. How many of you dads like to spoil your kids? Okay, I'm a dad. I got daughters. I like to spoil my... I'm the, I'm the only one? Okay, something's wrong with me, I guess, right? If... Let me ask you this. None of us in here are like, like overly rich or anything like that, but if we could give our kids more, sometimes we have to say no because... Not because we don't want to, but because we can't, right? How many of you wish that you could do more sometimes? Because you like to see your kids well taken care of, right? The heavenly father is the same way. He not only wants to see us well taken care of, but he takes care of us well. And we know that he takes care of us better than anyone because he never does anything wrong. He always does it exactly right. So God is always taking care of us. And every believer is gifted from God. So look at verse number three again in our text and and also verse number six. Paul says about the grace given to me, God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. 
And then in verse number six, it says, according to the grace that is given to us, we have different gifts. So when he says this, by the grace that's given to me, he's still building off that same rationale in verses one and two, right? Where Paul says, in light of all of this grace that we've seen from chapters one through 11, in light of all of the things that God has done to make salvation available to us, and the fact that we don't do anything to earn it, that he freely gives it through his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus was all in on the project to it, going voluntarily to the cross. All we've been given by Christ. Is it not just logical that we would give everything back to him? Is it not just logical that in light of all that he's done, that we would look at our life as not being our own anymore? That we would look at our life as having a bigger purpose than just living and dying, getting up, going to work, making money, and then rinse and repeat every single day. Life is not about that. And he says, be transformed in your mind to serve Jesus as an act of your true worship. It's almost like that old proverb, which by the way, Jesus said this in scripture, to whom much is given, much shall be required, right? So when we get saved, we're given a lot. And that means that of us, there should be a lot required. And pursuing Christ's likeness and pursuing holiness requires quite a bit. And so here's what our good God says. To walk with my son is gonna require a lot. So I'm gonna equip you with this giftedness to do that. In other words, Paul is setting us up to remember where all this salvation and all this transformation and all these gifts actually come from. They come from him. They don't come from us. They don't come from us. That means there's no all stars in the church. There's only one star and that's Jesus. And the rest of us are just pointing to the star, trying to reflect that star the best we can. But then when he says that God has distributed a measure of faith to each one, we catch two things from this, right? That God has given the gift, right? He says God has distributed. It hasn't been distributed by anyone else. It's not something that we've earned. It's not something that we've worked on to get. It's not something that we go to practice and train for. It's something that God has given us and that each believer has been given that gift. And then we look at verse number six and we see that reiterated again. According to the grace that has been given to us, we all have different gifts. So again, we see that these spiritual gifts are given by God to those who are living under the mercy, right? So what does that mean for me? All right, God gives us gifts. What does that mean for me? That means if you're a believer or if you're a follower in Jesus, you possess a special gift, a special spiritual aptitude, and these gifts were hand-selected by God who created you and knew you before you were even formed in the womb, as he told Joshua, that means that every gift you have is perfectly selected by God for you. What I love about Jesus as our Savior, what I love about the Christian faith is that it is a personal faith, right? We call Jesus our personal Savior. That means there aren't any social security numbers in heaven, right? You call in to, you call in to the U.S. government. What do they want to know before they know your name? What's your social? What's your address? It's like they know your name by all this other information. But with Jesus, with God, he knows us by our name. He knows us by the number of hairs on our head. He knows us by the tears that fall that he catches in a bottle. He knows us. So what this means is we are cared for, we are loved, and we are perfectly equipped. So that means that I don't have to worry I don't have to worry whether I'm going to please God in my obedience to him or whether I have enough to obey him because he's gonna give what I need along the way. I just have to be willing to obey. That's what it has to mean. 
This means the gifts that you've been given are perfectly selected. They're perfectly arranged by a perfect God to perfect his purpose for you. And it also means that until I give into that purpose, I may never feel fulfilled in my life. I like, um, I, 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 I like to read uh, C.S. Lewis a lot. I'm reading a, a book right now on, called The Problem with Pain, but my favorite works of C.S. Lewis are the books on Narnia. And how many of you have seen the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? It's, it's an older movie, but it's, it's an amazing book. Okay, so there's that, that, that piece where they find out that Aslan is coming and, and, and all of a sudden the snow begins to start melting. And as the snow is starting to melt away, Father Christmas, because it's a British, you know, it's, it's British, so they don't call him Santa Claus over there. They call him Father Christmas. Father Christmas shows up with his sleigh and he gives Edmund and Lucy and, and the other Pevensey children, he gives them specific gifts, right? One of them gets like a bow and arrow and one of them gets a sword. And, and, and Father Christmas, which are really strange gifts for children, by the way. I wouldn't suggest giving those this coming Christmas, no matter how long you wait to procrastinate or something. But um, they give these gifts and Peter gets this sword because he's going to be used to be Peter the Valiant and he's going to, to fight and he's going to defeat the witch and all these things. All of those gifts were hand-selected and Father Christmas says this, Aslan wanted me to give you these gifts. Of course, Aslan being, being the picture of Jesus in Narnia. God gives us specific gifts for what he has purposed in our lives ahead. Here's what it means for us. I don't have to know what's ahead. I just have to know the one who does. And I have to walk closely with the one who does know what's ahead. And that is where my safety lies. That's where my confidence lies as well. So the last two weeks, we've looked at how the gospel should change us and how it should change our focus and how it should purpose us and our activity to worship him. But now we see that God is so good that he even gives us the strength to do what he's called us to do in verses one and two. He's given us the ability to do what he's called us to do. Knowing that we don't have it, he gives it to us there, Right? So how good and how generous is our God? So every believer has at least one gift. And my question to you this morning is, what is yours? Do you know what that is? Have you ever thought about that? And what is that gift? And how could you use it in a way that you haven't been so far? The second thing that we see is that every believer has a place in the body of Christ. Every believer has a place in the body of Christ. Look at verse number four. Now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function... In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So here Paul is using the illustration of the human body to show that there's, number one, that there's diversity in the body of Christ, meaning that we're not all the same, right? We're not all fingers, we're not all toes, we're not all legs or arms, we're diverse, and that's a beautiful thing, right? But he also says that every part has its purpose and its place, and each purpose is important to the healthy function of the body. In 1 Corinthians, Paul actually expounds on this illustration even more and refers to the church as the body of Christ, meaning that we are not only the bride of Christ, who Jesus is going to one day return to receive, but we are the body of Christ today here on earth, that we come together as the church, that we move as a unit, and when we move in our diversity, it's beautiful, and it glorifies Christ to the rest of the unknowing world. So think about this. Imagine that you have a body that was made up entirely of fingers, Imagine your body is made up entirely of fingers. You're just a cluster of fingers walking around. I guarantee you that our greeting team today would have had trouble just reaching out a hand to shake a hand, right? Because they don't have a hand. You got, it's just a bunch of fingers. Like, which finger do I shake, right? Because that's not normal. If a body is just a bunch of fingers, it's not going to have what's needed to function as a body, 
right? Or it was made up entirely of legs or made up entirely of heads. Or imagine a body where everything is mixed up, that, in, that, that, that you have feet in the place where your hands should be. And your hands are where your feet should be. And your arms are where your legs should be. And all, everything is just reversed. Imagine how that would look. And how well would the body function that way? Which, by the way, our bodies are not like this evolutionary accident that just turned out really good. It's a design by God. Right? And God put us together to work pretty well. Right? And he put our bodies together to need every part of our body. And every part of our body should work together. It wouldn't be pretty if it was different. And it would also not be efficient. So in the same way, the church is not nearly as pretty. It's not nearly as healthy without you in it. Because if you're a hand and the person on the other side of the room is a foot, if one of you is gone, we're not moving properly. We're not working properly. The body needs all its parts. And the church, which lacks diversity in its giftedness, in its members, is handicapped in some ways. So we need that diversity of giftedness within the body of Christ. It's not meant for one person to do all the kingdom work within the body. It's not healthy that way and to the body or to the people watching the body move. I love this. Church is not a spectator sport. And I think in the American church, we've done everything we can to make it that way. Everything is geared around what's on the stage and what's under the lights and who's there and who's under the lights. And many times people think, I just attend church. Church is not a place that I go to. Church is something that I am. We are all the church. We are all the body of Christ. Church is not a spectator sport. It's an all hands, all feet, all heads, on deck mission. It's not a sport for entertainment. It's a mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forth. Every believer, regardless of the length of time being a Christian or how much working knowledge you have of your faith, has a call from Jesus to discern and to use his or her gift for the glory of God. The moment you come to Christ... God has gifted you to begin glorifying him. So the question again is, what is your gift and how are you using it? The next thing is that every believer needs other believers to be complete. So you're important to the church, but you're also not complete unless you're in the church, unless you're part of the body. Look at what it says in verse five and six. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another According to the grace that is given to us, we have different gifts. So just as each member is important to the health of the body, the body is important to the health of each member. Okay? So we looked at just a minute ago, you're important to the work of the church that God has called us to do, but also the church is important to you or should be viewed as that. Paul is telling us that, the God, that God doesn't intend for every believer to try to live on a spiritual island alone, that we need each other. See, church is not meant to be done alone. Church is meant to be done in community together. Every time you see the church in the book of Acts, they're gathered. They're gathered in some way. Now, are they all gathered from all over the world in one specific geographical location? No, but they do come together. They come together to pray. They come together to eat. This is how we know that the early church was a Baptist church, amen? They were potlucking before denominations even started, right? <laughs> yeah, that gets the amen. All right. That's theological. That, that may not be theological, but it'll preach, right? No. This falls in line with the other writings throughout Scripture regarding the Christian life as well. That we're not meant to be alone. We are meant, first of all, Christianity is best lived when we are closely in relationship with Christ. Did you know you can't be a Christian without being in relationship? Because if you're not in relationship with Christ, you can't be a Christian. 
Christianity is not a thing that we do alone. And that's what, with COVID and what has gone on the past couple of years, we have retreated, a lot of us have retreated. And, and I'll be honest, I'm kind of an introvert, except for when I have a Bible open. I'm an introvert. So when COVID hit, I'm like, there's some things from, from lockdown and all that type of stuff that I could settle in and just enjoy, right? Not being around a whole lot and, doing, doing, and, and just doing stuff on my own and stuff like that. But that's not the way God commands us as his children to live. He commands us to be in community with one another. This is a basic and fundamental value of the church. And again, let's consider the analogy of the body that Paul uses here, okay? So think about this. How does the body take care of its needs when another part of the body is in trouble? Like, did you ever notice this? That, that it's a symbiotic relationship within your body that when one part of your body suffers, the rest of your body gets to work to make that one better? So for instance, if my stomach growls and, said, and is hungry, what does my stomach do? My stomach sends a signal to my brain saying, feed me. And my brain then sends a signal to my hands and to my feet and all of those things. It sends a signal to my body to say, get up off the couch or get up from your desk or walk over to the refrigerator. Then it sends a message to the hand to say, open the refrigerator. Then it sends a message to my eyes to view what's in it. And then it sends another message to my hands to bring it out and to put food to mouth. Then it sends a message to my mouth to chew and then to swallow. All of those things are going on because it's meeting one need. Now imagine if my stomach were detached from my body in another part of the house from the rest of my body and it was hungry, how would it get fed? It doesn't matter how many signals it's trying to send out. If it's not going anywhere, if it's not reaching anyone, it's not going anywhere. You see, that's the symbiotic relationship that we have as the body of Christ. We need those who have that gift of prophecy or that gift of teaching. We need people who show mercy. We need all of those things and we need one another because one of us is down, the other is to lift one another up. We are to bear one another's burdens in Christ. And this is a challenge because I know some of you that, that, that worship virtually, some of it's by necessity, but some of us by choice. And we need one another. We need one another. And I say that in love. I don't say that in a way to, to bash or to, to do anything, but we need one another. In the same way God wants to care for his body, he uses other members of the body. We need one another to be complete. Christianity is a community life. It's a commitment to the community. Is the community always pretty? No. Are there some, it, 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 does sometimes, does the community look like a freak show? Let's be honest. Yes, because we're in it. But it's a community that is being made beautiful by Jesus Christ. And are we broken? Yes. Are we all works in progress? Yes. But it's a beautiful community. Everyone in scripture was a work in progress. No, show me one perfect person in scripture that God used outside of Jesus Christ. No one was perfect. Some of these people that God used, we wouldn't even let be staff at a church today. David had an affair on his wife and hired a hitman. I don't think we're looking for him on a, on a pulpit search committee. Right? God uses the imperfection and the foolishness of what we do to confound the wise. And you know what? It just seems to work. It draws people to Christ. It's been doing it for centuries and it will do it for centuries more until Jesus comes back. There's this illustration. And here's that. that design is not as much, it's just as much a benefit as it is a duty. Because some of you, if you're introverted like me, you're thinking, man, Sunday morning community is about all I can handle. That's about all I can squeeze out. I don't want much more. But it's just as much a benefit as it is a duty. See, how many of you have heard the phrase, I got your six? 
Anybody understand what that means? I got your six. Anybody know? I figured a lot of guys were, it's a military term, right? So when people are in combat and they're, in, they're, they're moving through a, a, a location that they don't know very well, somebody will say, okay, you take the front. And somebody will say, I got your six, meaning they're going to trail behind and they're going to look out for the, part of the, for the parts that you can't see behind you. It's like, I'm at your six o'clock. This is a concept that's been used ever since ancient times, really in Roman warfare, which ironically, we're in the book of Romans. Everybody can identify a Roman soldier from ancient times, right? Because it's probably the most popular ancient armor that we, can, that we see, right? We see it on TV, we see it in movies, we saw it in history books. But what's interesting about Roman armor is it never had any armor in the back. And that was for two reasons. One, it was believed that a Roman soldier should never retreat. So they should never turn their back to the fight and run away. But the other reason was because it, it enhanced or it encouraged fighting together, so when Romans would be surrounded by an enemy, what they would do is they would come and they would put their backs to one another and they would fight in one tandem unison. They would actually train in their sword craft, in their fighting craft to fight with someone at their back. Because of this idea, I've got your six, because we're better when we're covered on all sides. And this is what the giftedness in the body of Christ does. It means that if I'm strong in one area, I'm gonna be weak in another. But God has provided somebody in the church, in his body, that's strong in the areas that I'm weak. And it also sends the message that there's not one person in the church that everything rests on and everything can be accomplished by because that and that alone is Jesus Christ. We need one another. We need one another. We need to have each other's six. But if I go off by myself and don't take anyone with me, I got no one to have my six. If I go off by myself, although I may be armored up to the hilt with the, short, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and the helmet of salvation, I still am left open in the back. I need the brethren with me. No one possesses all the gifts. If you're strong in one point, you can take it to the bank that you're weak in another. And that's by God's design because we need each other. And, and like I said, COVID's created this strange space where a lot of people, myself included, are tempted to come into this place where we feel like, you know what? I got through two years pretty much on my own. But that's not the way God designed the church. That's not the way God designed it. So you have at least one gift and that gift is meant to be used for the glory of Christ within the body of Christ. And the body has to come together in order to function. So the last thing is that our gifts need to be used with humility. And I want to get through this really quick because humility is not a popular subject in church, right? I want to get through this really quick because I already got humility worked out. I'm the most humble person I know. So this one's going to go pretty well. No, some of you didn't even pick that up. You're already thinking about lunch. So look at verse number three again. For by the grace that is given to me, I tell everyone among you, what does he say? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. You ever been in that position where you just thought of yourself a little more than you should have? How about spiritually? Where you get to that position where you feel like, man, I think I got this nailed. I've been a Christian for 15 years. I got all this taken care of. I got this. This is easy. And then you find out it ain't easy. When you try to put your faith on autopilot or when you try to take over, because that bumper sticker is such a lie. God is not a co-pilot. If, co if Jesus is your co-pilot, he's nowhere around because Jesus wants the wheel because that's his only place that he can be in your life. Paul first tells everyone not to think of themselves more highly than he should. I find it interesting coming from a guy like Paul, right? We've talked about this a couple of times. If you know Paul's background, 
What is Paul? Paul is a smart, gifted, talented guy, right? He's got like an Ivy League education. He's summa cum laude from all of that. He probably holds multiple degrees. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He studied, he, he was a Roman citizen and a Jewish citizen. And so therefore he was educated in the Roman educational system. He was educated in the Jewish system. He knew his stuff. If anybody could go it alone, if anybody could say, hey, I got this, it was Paul. But Paul said, I need him. And he said, I urge you by the grace and of the mercy of God, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. You need Jesus. You need him in every aspect. You need him in every way. He was the most educated guy. He was the most accepted guy in Rome and in Israel. And if you were collecting Bible baseball cards and you had the Apostle series and you had a rookie Paul card, you had a really ex expensive card. But Paul said, I'm nothing without Jesus. I'm nothing without him. The gifts and the talents that you see me use, those all came from him too. Everything came from God. And Paul says that everyone is equal in the eyes of God, even in their giftedness. Does this mean that everyone has the same amount or share of gifts? No, there are some that as they move in spiritual maturity, they're a little bit more gifted and maybe gifted in different areas than others, but we're all equal in the fact that none of us bring anything to the table to earn those gifts. God has given them all. And that's what makes grace so amazing. Because grace is just that. I don't bring anything to the table, but God freely gives it to me. None of us bring anything to the table. How much it costs to supply it to God and how little of it we could pay for and cover our own is what makes grace so amazing. Because none of us could cover any of it on our own. And this is why Paul says, think sensibly, or in other words, be reasonable about this. Look at you, and then look at God. Guys who are in the room, who married out of their league like I did, you know what that means, right? Look at you, and then look at your wife, and you're like, this is how I know God exists, because I'm with her, right? Look at God, look at Jesus, and look at you. You know we don't measure up. You know we don't. And we can be as arrogant as we want to be, but there's coming a day we're going to stand before a throne that we have no right to be in the presence of. And we're going to know that the minute we stand there. And we're going to be asked to give an account. And the only thing we're going to be able to do is say, I plead the blood of Jesus. Because there's nothing we're going to be able to hold up and say, do you see how valuable I am? Because there's nothing that I brought. The Bible says all of our works are like filthy rags. So God sent Jesus Christ, the pearl of great price, the darling of heaven, to redeem us. See, when he says we're all given the same measure of faith, it means that's our standard. That's what we measure everything by. That's why he says when you're, if you use the gift of prophecy, use it by the measure of your faith. Not by how gifted you are, but by your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's how we discern the gifts that we have. Our gifts are discerned, and that's the last thing, is we follow Jesus Christ. As you follow him, you begin to find out what it's about. You don't have to go take a test. You don't have to do all of those types of things, go on this mysterious quest to find your gifts. Like you're hunting the Holy Grail or something like that. Your gifts are found as you begin to serve him. Just get busy for Jesus, and you'll begin to find those things. You'll begin to find out what they are. And that's the question this morning that I want to close out with. Are you busy for the Lord? Are you 
open and willing to find out what your gifts are and are you open and willing to use those gifts? Because the, under th the thing that we have to understand is there are no small gifts, there are only small, and there are, no, there are no small assignments in the kingdom of God. Nothing is small in the kingdom of God because when we're doing it for the kingdom of God, we're doing it to glorify a big God. So God is gonna perfectly gift you. So how are you using your gift today? How you use your gift is how you'll discern your gift too. See, we live in a culture where we value education. We place a high degree on formal education. You gotta have a certificate to get in the doors of some companies and you gotta have a master's degree or you gotta have a bachelor's degree or something like that. And that educational system that we have is usually designed in one fashion. People who are not experts sit under experts who tell them how to be experts for a good period of time and then after a while you get a piece of paper that says you're now a level of, you now have a level of expertise. But how many of you have ever found that most of your, most of your success in your career or in life is on the job training? See, this is why the ancient Eastern system of education was a lot different. You became an apprentice and you walked with a rabbi or you, you, you studied at the feet of somebody, meaning you literally walked with them and you lived with them and you tried to emulate them in everything that you did. This is the, this is the walk of Christ. And, and, and for a lot of us today, we've settled for that Western mindset when it comes to our, pro, our, our approach to spiritual growth. I've been in church for 15 years. I've heard every sermon twice from my pastor. I've done all these Bible studies. I've done every Beth Moore Bible study that you can find. Or I've done, I've read this book by this author and this new author. And I'm listening to this podcast. And we think that our Christian faith grows by just amassing knowledge. But you know what? There was a group of people back in Jesus' day who had amassed a whole lot of knowledge. And Jesus said, you're the people that are the furthest from me. You see, it's by our faith. It was the Pharisees. It's by our faith that we grow in him. And we can only grow in faith in him by walking with him walking where he leads us, take, letting him take us into places where all we can do is depend on him. And that's it. And that's how our gifts begin to get determined. More than likely, your giftedness is probably being determined by what you're most afraid to step into right now. More than likely. So as we bow our heads and as we close our eyes this morning, are you allowing yourself to grow in the Lord? Are you... Getting in, are you getting into a time in the word where you can get with Jesus every day? Where you can ask him these things, God, how do you want to use me? How have you gifted me? If you're not, I encourage you to do that. That's step number one, man. Just get with Jesus. If you want to discern how God has gifted you, just get with Jesus, the one who gave you the gift. And then get involved. Serve him in some way shape or form. And, and in the areas that you're passionate about, more than likely that's going to be a place that you're gifted about. I've also found that the places I'm passionate about are the ones that I usually talk myself out of because I'm afraid to mess them up. Step in faith into that. But the biggest question this morning is, do you know Christ? Have you drawn to the feet of the Savior? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Because if you don't know Christ as your Savior, these gifts... Those are things that are down the road if you'll trust in Christ. If you haven't come to him, the Bible tells us that all of us are sinners. See, all of us are equal in God's eyes. God doesn't put us into classifications of race and gender and rich and poor and all that stuff. We're all the same. The Bible says all of us have sinned and we all come short of the glory of God, every one of us. And because of that, we all need a savior 
And Jesus sent one Savior for all people, his son, Jesus Christ. And when he died on the cross and he shed his blood, he paid for our sins that we all commit. We all may commit different sins, but we all commit sins, which makes us sinners. And so that blood covered all the sins. And then when he rose from the dead, he gave us eternal life, meaning he beat death and he offers that to us if we would trust in him. So he forgives us and he makes us eternal in him and he makes us new. And then he gifts us to walk with him, to walk that road of faith. Because sometimes as we follow him, we're gonna follow him into places that are not comfortable. We're gonna follow him into places every time when we feel ill-equipped. And God says, I will equip you if you will trust me. So my question for you this morning is, do you know him? Are you willing to follow him? If you have never trusted him as, his, as your savior, trust him today. And if you've trusted him, if you trusted him for heaven, are you trusting him for every step that you walk on the way there? Are you trusting him? Heavenly Father, as we move into a time of invitation, I pray that we will open our, our hearts and our minds and our, ourselves to you and to what you may be calling us to. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.